I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Sean. He has PTSD. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad we have a paramedic <laughs> here to, to to confirm how fucked your foot is, Brian. <laughs> yeah, because uh, folks, oh. you should go if you want to see Brian's foot right now. Bad foot. Oh my oh god, my dude! God. Does it look okay, Brian? Brian was playing oh. soccer. I think it's fine. And uh, <laughs> and someone <laughs> stepped. On, you said someone stepped on your foot. It looks stepped like someone yeah. stomped on, it, like, on your foot. Yeah. yeah, he did. Totally, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. you got like right Fred here. Flintstone foot right now. Like yeah. it's not good. Um, well, we're just, we're hopping right into this. I love, this is a great way to oh, we start. Yeah, okay. we started. Yeah. So this <laughs> yeah, is great. Uh, we, I'm so excited for this because, uh, we are hanging out with Sean who has been, I mean, we've been trying to get this dude long time, long yeah. time. Um, yeah. Sean Conahan, you are the, uh, the creator and host of up talk podcast. Yeah. Which is, uh, all uh, very similar to sick boy in a way, um, all about chipping away at the stigma associated with mental illness Specifically in the first responder world, yeah. Um, and you yourself, uh, which I just mentioned, you are you are, are or were. Here's the thing. Okay. Probably technically, I was. Yes. But I look at it like this: like I earned that. Like you know, when when doctors retire, they're still doctor, whatever. They're not even if they're not working anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, I sort of always call myself a paramedic because I think we always sort of connect to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think that's fair. I mean, yeah. like uh, when I'm no longer a podcaster, I'm still going to be like, I was, uh, yeah, podcaster. Yeah, sure, <laughs> I was sure, a yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah. I guess I still call, like, I, I guess I, my, on my bio still says I'm an actor, even though I haven't touched yeah. a fucking Yeah, I mean, you earned and, that right. credential. Yeah, yeah right, right? right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I can't actively practice, but. Sure. Yeah. But like if somebody like needed uh, their foot assessed or something, you're going to be like, oh, shit, I have <laughs> oh, the dude. skills to assess that. In case and we're no. not clear, <laughs> your foot is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it is really bad, bro. Yeah. I'm so glad we're putting that up on our Instagram. Anyway, get that looked at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, go after this. Uh, so, Sean, um, I mean, before we get into UpTalk, yeah. uh, let's, let's talk about your career as a, as a first responder. Mm. Um, how old are you now? 46. And, and when did you get into the, the, the practice of, uh, of being a first responder? So it would have been uh, 97. It was when I first got a job as a paramedic in okay. Bridgewater. Okay. Now, before that, I mean, I grew up in the Annapolis Valley in New Minas. A uh, good friend of mine, my best friend growing up, was a firefighter, volunteer firefighter. And he was also at that time an EMT, they called it then, uh, before there were paramedics. So... I kind of looked up to him. I joined the fire department as soon as I could when I was 18. Loved it. Loved helping people. At the time, actually, I was going to Acadia University for recreation management. And uh, just had, all of a sudden, it just dawned on me that I'd, I just want to help people. I'd mm-hmm. rather do that all the time. So 
I applied to Holland College and PEI, got my, what was then, uh, it was still EMT then, sorry, my friend was an EMA, but switched to EMT before it became paramedics again, but, uh, and, and loved it. Got my job in, uh, in Bridgewater in 97. Loved it. Um, you know, when I, growing up, I, there, my family, I was alone a lot. I was an only child. Well, not only child. My brother was born when I was 10, but for a lot of my early years, Mm. by myself and uh, looking back now I was probably had a little bit of depression in my family seeing what my mom and dad have gone through there's probably something there mm-hmm. never really thought much of it really went through my career uh, in Bridgewater started there it was excellent got a job at the dispatch center as well the communication center here in the city and if you don't know all the ambulances in the province are dispatched and uh, relayed through one communication center if it's, if it's medical they're fantastic they do an awesome job they're one of the best in North America through audits, and mm-hmm. they're it, wonderful people. Is the reason that they, they do that in Nova Scotia because, um, like, I, I guess if I was thinking of, like, what sort of medical services are available in the province, right? Um, the more intense your uh, needs are, I guess, to put it one yeah. way, then the Halifax hospitals might be capable of doing things that other hospitals right. might not. So, you know... If you were like sort of in charge of uh, dispatching police or fire services, um, the, I feel like the hierarchy of what sort of competencies different hospitals have right is, is different than like what would be um, what you would think of with police or firefighting. Right. So having the dispatch center in the city, they would be able to say like, okay, th- like this event may have happened in you know, six hours outside of the Halifax, but we definitely need to airlift this person to the yeah. city because they need these special services that aren't available in any, any hospitals in rural communities. That's perfect. That's exactly why, because it's all about coordination, right? You right. need to do it quickly. Okay. So having it all in one center makes sense. And I, I did that and, and loved it. Um, and I was, I, was, I was killing it, like, um, in my mind, right? I was mm. like, Great, had multiple leadership uh, roles uh, as a paramedic and as a dispatcher. Thought I was, like, awesome friend, awesome brother. Mm. You know, the best husband ever, best father ever. Like, it was just, uh, I was like Teflon. It was, mm-hmm. it was awesome mm-hmm. until it wasn't. Mm. And <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, calls would start to get to me. I was always really good at, to my personal life detriment, like shutting off my emotions. So get a call, emotions get shut off right away, deal with the call really effectively, well, and, uh, you know, not get connected, forget about the call, go on to the next one and not remember the patient or the call or mm-hmm. just go on. I was really good at that. Um, but what I didn't realize is that, and the problem that first responders have a lot because we're taught whether we're taught directly or through comments from, you know, old, old school guys or whatever, we're taught that when you go to a call, you have to shut your emotions down. You right. can't be emotional to do your job well, which is true, 100% true. But what they don't teach us is how to flip them back on. Right. Ever. Right. Yeah. right. So, that ability to, like, manage yeah. the, the... I mean, to, to shut off your emotion while dealing with something that is highly traumatic for everyone involved then to to not sort of manage or deal with that afterwards mm. it, that just seems like a a compounding issue that and would a lead really to- and a really challenging like 
and, and just challenge, like, even if, even if you are getting the training to, to, to turn yeah. on and turn off very, yeah. very hard. Like when you think about how hard it can be to just, you know, on a Friday to shut off from work so yeah. that you can enjoy your weekend yeah. and then turn back on for Monday. Like that's theoretically pretty simple, but not that easy to do. Super hard <laughs> to do. And then like level up 10 times for yeah, your, yeah, your yeah. emotional system. Yeah. yeah, it's um, it's a, it's just a it's one huge mind fuck because you honestly believe that you're doing well though, and that you're rocking it. You're not realizing that, you know, what you learn quickly is if you go home to your family after shift, and you treat them like you treat patients, disengaged, you know, not really mm-hmm. present. If you treat them like that, it doesn't go well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, they they don't enjoy that. Your family does not enjoy that. I've heard, um, I've heard, this is anecdotally, a friend of mine who is, um, who I don't think she is now, but she, she was certainly, oh, you got your bowl there, buddy? She is a, um, give me that. Um, she's going to donut, she's going to destroy his own fucking bowl. She's a, uh, she was a, um, uh, RCMP dispatch. Right. And, and she told me, you know, people who are working dispatch, I mean, that can be the toughest job for your emotions, for handling, um, for, for post-traumatic stress, for, um, for mental health issues, because you're dealing with everything, not just the things that you show up to, but everything that comes through every problem. And you're, you know, you're, it's like, it's almost like, it's almost like being God, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know, people are, you know, it's like the call is coming through asking for help and, and you've got to, you, you, you've got to be the, You've got to be the first person to figure out how to start dealing with that problem. And right. Like, that's, I mean, crazy heavy. It's, uh, yeah, no one's, the phone's not ringing and you're answering it and someone's saying, hey, everything's great here. Just wanted to say, hey, and you're doing a great job. Yeah. Like, we don't get those calls, right? <laughs> That'll be wicked. Yeah. But yeah, it's that. And plus, as a dispatcher, I think because we don't see anything, right? We don't, so we don't see the scene, we only hear about it and people describing it, right? That's why we ask questions. People think our questions um, are really annoying because some of them seem repetitive and they get really frustrated sometimes. But I can tell you those questions are asked word for word in a particular order, a particular way mm. to guide our system to best know what exactly is going on with you. Mm. Like it works really well. Mm-hmm. But over time, because we don't see the scene, our imagination kicks in and makes a scene. And mm. probably more times than not, the scene is worse in our head than it probably is in person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we connect that imagery with that call, right? Mm. And I mean, I mean, the calls that the calls that ended my career were all the dispatch center. And, you know, I had a bunch of calls that involved kids, mm. which is not new. Done hundreds of them. Like, not new. Um, but started, you know, thinking about them and getting upset about it. Started not being able to watch TV <coughs> shows that had, you know, kids getting hurt or stuff like that. Right. And then I had a call, and, um, and it was for, it was another kid call, and the, uh, the child that died was the same age as my daughter. Mm. And that's happened before, too. Mm-hmm. That's not new. <laughs> but after that call, and again, I'm usually really stoic, like capital S stoic, Right. Uh, hung up the phone, immediately started to cry, like uncontrollably cry. Uh, I had to go outside, couldn't stop crying. Like this is, and this is so weird for me. Mm-hmm. Could just couldn't shaking. Um, you know, it was just horrible. So it was like a what? switch. Yeah, 
What's, what's that like when that happens in the dispatch cent- center? Like, what's the culture like there if yeah. you have to, like, step Ooh. away and, and go and sort of let your emotions out like that? Yeah, the, the culture, the, the people that work in that center are so good and support each other so well. So, I mean, for me, there was uh, a dispatcher working that day who was on, like, the peer support team. She was, like, sitting right behind me. Like, she saw this whole thing go down. Mm-hmm. I put my head down. I think she came over to me right away and said, okay, let's go outside. Like, everybody's, like, cool. Like, everybody's, you know, lots of support. It was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the issue is not paramedics supporting each other. Mm-hmm. Like, or, or firefighters, police, military, any branch of response, healthcare workers, humans, right? This is a human issue. So, you know, the, the issue is not that. The issue is... Unfortunately, a lot of the time is the employers and the corporations because, and I, when I say that, you know, don't think I'm totally bashing on them because I, I have to imagine that trying to change their corporate culture and policies to align with this ever-changing mental health situation, mm-hmm. probably really hard, mm-hmm. probably very difficult. Especially in the last, you know, number of years yeah. where it's rapidly evolving all the time. Like, I can get that. Extremely difficult. But, you know, there are some things, though, that I think corporations could do um, just to make life a little easier, like just to show that they care a little bit. And I think that's, you know, and then mm. people, you know, I look to my management for leadership and for guidance, right? And I, if I don't get that or I get the reverse, right, and I get damaged by it, I mean, it's, uh, it's brutal. Yeah. It, you know, it adds to everything, right? So the, you, you, like, we, we've touched on PTSD on the show a number mm. of times, Um and I think I think it was maybe one or two other times where we, we've we've uh, talked about PTSD from the standpoint of of people that are in a first responder type role. Right. And I remember the very the very first episode we did. It was I think it was 2016, and we were talking to a uh, a former Toronto emergency response team officer. So like a Toronto SWAT yeah. team officer. Um, whose name was Jim, Jim Bremner. Mm-hmm. And what I remember is Jim telling us this story about one particular incident that he equates to the, the, the moment that broke him. It was like the, the one incident where he discharged his, his, um, his service weapon, um, and that was the thing that led to him having to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it led to him living with PTSD and, and struggling pretty intensely with it. Uh, when it comes to your experience and your story, it, it seems like, uh, there was this sort of long journey of like continuous incidences mixed with this, like, uh, this inability to like flip the switch in a way that, that, was doing you any good you're taking this you're taking this home with you but was this one moment with this this child that that died that hit you was like was that the was that the straw that broke the camel's back or yeah it was weird like because you're right and for me it was definitely a cumulative probably even before i was a paramedic not taking care of myself very well Mm -hmm. right never had you know was really good at that and then you know going into paramedicine then probably, you know, on the wrong foot, right? So, I mean, I worked through things such as, uh, you know, Swiss Air, right? Right. 
And for folks that are listening that uh, maybe aren't aware of Swiss Air or, or are too young to remember, right. can, you, can you give us a little context there? Well, yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was a plane that crashed off the coast of Nova Scotia just by Peggy's Cove in Blandford. And uh, you're going to have to forgive me on the year, my PTSD memory. It was, it was, a, while, it was a while It might have been, I think it was 2001, maybe? Yeah. Possibly? It was right around there. It's 1999 or something like that. Um, it was crazy because the, the tail number of the plane was 911, which was also... 911. Swiss, so Swiss, Swiss Air 111. I thought it was 911. It was 1998, September 2nd, 1998. conspiracy brain kicking. You almost had it. You almost made that connection. Watch the least change Because then I was like, September 11th, it was actually a plan by Swiss Air to cover up all of the news articles from the flight itself. Yeah, anyway. Well played. My mistake. It was good. This is how conspiracy theories start. Yeah, it was 1998, 215 passengers, zero survivors, 14 crew. So it was 229 fatalities. So I can remember when that call came in, um, and actually I was on, I was supposed to come in that morning. So it came in in the middle of the night. But when I w- got to my base the next morning, you know, and hearing about this, basically every available ambulance in the province started making their way to Halifax, right? We left, you know, just the minimum back in communities. Like mm-hmm. everybody's going to Halifax. Because in, in, your, in your minds at first you're thinking, okay, this is a recovery. There's going to be some sort of recovery effort, right? Soon after it became really apparent that this was going to be, you know, uh, clean up. Yeah, not a recovery of survivors, but a recovery of, yeah. of bodies. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, that's, that's the one incident that a lot of people look back on now. My generation of paramedics is maybe like the thing that sort of started. Because mm. that's the first time we've ever seen anything like that. Yeah. Like, you know, a plane crash and, you know, you have medics out on fishing boats with mm. local fishermen just, collecting anything they could right yeah Yeah. brutal brutal so i mean i I worked through that i worked through uh hurricane juan when it hit here which was brutal not just because of the hurricane and all the damage which was significant yeah but that's also the day the event that we lost uh, a good friend of mine john rossiter Mm-hmm. Also a paramedic who had his ambulance crushed by a tree. Yeah. Oh wow. Very here by the hospital. It was so, one of the one of the only fatalities, I believe, of, right. of that mm-hmm. uh, hurricane. And um, I was a supervisor at that time, and I had long since before got the night off, so I was at home, but I was listening to my radio. And um, when that all happened, and you know, we heard John's partner say, you know, he's gone. Mm. Fuck. Like. So the whole bunch of things go through your mind. First of all, I grab my uniform. I start trying to get my way to work, right, which took a long time because the tree's down. I actually ended up getting a ride with an RCMP officer that came in. But there's that. But then immediately you start having the guilt, too, of, like, I should have been there. I should not have had this night off. Yeah. Like, and it was just brutal. So we get through that, right? 9-11, I was supervisor on the floor for 9-11, which you wouldn't think – you know, you, th- you might think, how does that affect people here, right? So we, I get a call. This whole thing starts because I get a call from the Department of Health's PR person who I talk to all the time. Mo Green, I think it was at the time. And he's asking me, did a, did a plane just hit the World Trade Center in Halifax? I went, uh, no, I don't, don't believe. Like, I'll turn on your TV, and that's when we learned it was, you New know, York. not in Halifax, mm-hmm. yeah. but in New York. Mm. So, okay, so now we have this incident right, colossal, you know, terrorist incident. We're in a dispatch center. We do have two TVs at the end of the 
end of each room for night shifts and stuff like that when you turn some TV on, right? So I flash it up and this is happening. So I still have my dispatchers and call takers. There's still calls coming in. But you're watching this on TV, mm. right? So immediately I had to make a decision, okay, we gotta turn these TVs off, which was upsetting to a lot of people because some people knew people there. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we want, but I can't. Like, we still have a job to do here. Mm -hmm. So yeah. worked through a deal like every hour for 15 minutes. If you wanted to, you could go into the lunchroom and get updated or we had, you know, and then we had to deal with all the planes that were diverted. So, yeah. you know, as well as, you know, Gander, who's uh, been in the news a lot because of all the help they gave. Was mm -hmm. Phenomenal. We had a bunch of planes land in Halifax. And the problem with that is when you have a bunch of planes on, like, that are, that are like that with people in them and they're just waiting, these people have medical needs. So you have diabetics on these planes whose insulin is in their baggage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Right. Because they never thought of this. Like, it could be any number of medical stuff. So then we had to coordinate a response to that, right? So, you know, and I, I've been at work at the dispatch center, particularly when more than one of my colleagues was found at their house. That was the call that came in. Yeah. So it's certainly accumulative. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It sounds like it's, it's so fucking crazy that in the world we need people to do these jobs. They're, like, they're foundational for our societies to be able to, like, function in a safe way yet just by nature of doing the job it's like hard to imagine that there's not a paramedic or first responder who doesn't experience some level of post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent mm. it's uh yeah it kills you every day you love it that's not a knock on the people you love helping people but if you're not if you're not perfect if you're not perfectly disciplined in your wellness unless you're really super on top of it, it you lose something every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. at, at what point were you diagnosed with PTSD? Like what was the, right. what was the diagnosis process? So I'll take you back. So I had that call, right? Upset me. Thought I was still good. Still tried to go back to work. I can handle this. I like, just do this. Yeah. But things started to open up. Remember that gate? You talked about that, that moment mm -hmm. in that call. A gate opened up and you realized quickly in a wave, you're the worst father ever. You're the worst husband ever. Look at all this stuff you've done that you honestly were, did not, were not aware of. Mm. And it all floods back. And it just, uh, for me, it just flattened me. Like, mm. holy, because I'm, you know, I'm, I grew up like a really, you know, happy, like joking guy, really easygoing, never, ever angry. But then all these memories come back of my uncontrolled, explosive anger around my family mm. and it's like oh, what is this <coughs> right <coughs> finally in march of that so this was like september that call came in march of the next year 2014 uh basically i, I asked for help uh, for my company and i was union president at the time too and that plays into this because mm. i was very good at union president and over the la over the previous couple of years probably from getting worse and not being able to admit it or see it you know, I made some mistakes, like just little, not patient condition affecting mistakes, but just little, little, just little weird things when my sick time was up and all this kind of stuff, right? So they were not happy with me anyway mm. by this time. But I finally said, you know what? I do need help. This is bothering me. I can't get over this, blah, blah. They said, okay, leave it with us. So I came back St. Patrick's Day in 2014. And it's got to be a busy day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I did that, and then so I met with them, and they terminated me. 
So they terminated me. All my benefits were gone. Fuck. And they did have course to do that through the union environment, you know, pending grievances and stuff. But that didn't mean, that doesn't matter to me at the time. Right now, right now, I no longer have my identity that I've had for the last 17 years. Like, yeah. Right? So don't have that. Um, now my self-confidence is gone because this is all I know. This is since I was 20. This is all I, I learned about. This is all I've done. Like, I can't do anything else. Like, I'm in my, like, 30, late 30s then, 40. Mm. What? Like, what and, am I supposed to yeah, do, all of a right? sudden, this identity yeah. crisis. Right. And, and, yeah. the re- and the resources to get help are, have evaporated. You're right. Because right. I can go get, and don't take this the wrong way, anybody listening get offended, but there, obviously there's public health, public mental health that I can go see. And, however, there are very few of those people who do wonderful work that are, that are versed in the culture of first response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's different. We're not, I'm, I'm not saying we're special or anything like that, but we're not the same. We're wired a little bit different. Yeah, different, like, different category from yeah, I mean, like, like abuse or, yeah, or something yeah. like that. You look at someone who grew up experiencing like childhood neglect, that's, that's, that's traumatic and mm, that, that comes with a, a whole host full of issues that you have to deal with, it, especially if you're diagnosed with PTSD from that. But I mean, and there are people that are trained to. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, and that, I think that's a much more common thing that you will see in the world compared to someone who is a first responder who, like, on a daily basis, is right. seeing and immersed in just For some of the most horrific. Yeah, it's everybody's worst day. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, over right? and over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you nailed it. It's just over and over again. I liken it like this. So here's how I describe it. So we all, as human beings, walk over uneven ground from time to time. Every once in a while, we have to walk over some gravel or whatever, right? If that gravel, if that uneven ground, you consider that to be trauma, it's true. Every once in a while, every one of us is going to have a little traumatic incident. Mm -hmm. Our brain does its right thing, processes it. We go on. First responders are spending all day, every day, walking on uneven ground. Mm. The you know, frequency that they're going to trip or have a mental health issue, is, you know, it, it's evident as, as to why. It's because we're never on safe ground, mm-hmm. ever, right? And that's why the, you know, it's uh, such a significant problem in the first responder community versus the non-first responder community. But it makes sense. It's just because we're inundated with it. Yeah. All the time, what, right? What's your um, What's your perception of how the um, like you said earlier? You know, so you said it's not really a, it's not really a, that much of an issue with, with um, first responders helping first responders because if oh, the community yeah. the community knows, community understands. Outwardly, from the public, that I, I remember when I was twenty. Jer- that's where Jeremy and I met. We did a yoga teacher training together in Brazil. We had a oh, guy. Nice. We had a friend there. Um, that we met there who was a paramedic. And up until this point, I think my idea of a first responder, firefighter, police officer, paramedic, is like is like a, like a childhood version where you're playing with the trucks and they're and yeah. it's like and it's like I'm gonna grow up and be that. And yeah. there's like this very like hunky dory sort of aura around the idea of of being a first responder. And then we went to this training and we met um, we met our friend there. 
and you know he was reeling from mental health issues from his job right and he spoke a lot about that and it was really the first time that i actually went holy shit that's that makes a lot of sense and i never saw it that way yeah what, what is your what's your perception of how the public understands what first responders are are going through and and maybe how that's changed because you know you you started working in the late 90s yeah. and gone through um and and worked through probably a, a at least the beginning of a pretty significant change in how we think right. about mental health in general yeah i mean it's certainly i think the public probably has that same image that you have like the childhood first responder like just can take down a wall, can lift a car off you, like, mm. you know, this, yeah. this real sort of superhero kind of person, mm-hmm. right? And really, you kind of have to think that because you need to trust the fact that whoever's coming to your door can do whatever it takes. Mm. So you kind of, it would kind of be shitty if, you, if your thought of the first responder was, oh, man, I'm just questionable whether they're going to be able to kick down the door. Or, right. Or, you know, you, you don't want to think that, right? Yeah. And us as first responders, I mean, I'll speak for me personally, like, you don't, you don't go around saying that I'm a hero or that we don't think that we're heroes. However, there is a pride. Mm-hmm. There's a pride that you're part of a pretty special group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we, we take that very seriously. But at the end of the day, and I think the public is starting to see this now through, you know, when we started, right, back in 2016, I did a search. I don't know. You must have done searches. There weren't a whole lot of podcasts on this topic. Yeah. In general, period. Yeah. yeah. And I know, and for first responder mental health, yeah. there was really nothing out at that time, right? Yeah. However, th- since then, how many are there are there now? Yeah, I mean, the like landscape of the conversation hundreds. has changed so yeah. much yeah. since yeah. we started this podcast. It, since you started you know, yours, it it is really interesting because I I think back of this idea of like what a the type of person a first first responder is. Um, when I was like fourteen, fifteen, there was a my my paddling coach uh, became a firefighter, right? And I remember the first day. He was on a shift. He went. He was on like three days. He went to do his shift. He came back, and he came down to the canoe club, and he was telling us about it. And he and he, and he described this like very traumatic experience. Huh. And I remember everybody listening was like, "Whoa, that's fucking crazy!" Yeah. Like, yeah. like, but like not also being a fourteen or fifteen year old kid, not being able to like fully understand what that experience would be like. But in hindsight, looking back, I'm like, oh he was experiencing trauma and he yeah. had to talk about it. So he was telling us yeah. and we're, we have no capacity to understand what he's really been through. No. But then, then like that, that story has stuck with me because I thought being a firefighter was putting up fires. But then I realized like, no, it's going to car accidents and like doing these things that like no human or person should have to see or do. But the reality is somebody has to do this job and, and, um, it's it's interesting because some of the when I became a paddling coach, some of the kids, um, I would ask them like, "What jobs do you want to be in?" Uh, occasionally, you'd hear somebody say, "I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a paramedic," and I'd almost feel inclined to be like, "Do you know what is involved yeah. in that job?" Because you know what you're like, for. because yeah. I don't think that people who sometimes I don't think sometimes people who go into those jobs understand what it really entails, and um, or even I, if you do it, understand, it, it's like they can't prepare for yeah. it. Can't prep right. yourself for yeah. that. You, you know, can prep like, for all the clinical things. If you see yeah. this broken, this is what you do. But you can't. You can have all the little, all the mental health courses while you're a student, which I agree you should have. 
uh, you know, all you want, but you're not going to know the weight of it until yeah. it happens. What, what, like, what types of resources are available for first responders? Like, when you're doing that job, are, are they encouraging you to see a therapist? Are there, are, is there, like, different things that you do on a, on a frequent basis where they're checking in on your mental health? Because I just imagine yeah. that it's, it's got to, like, at least now be a more common thing that, that people are discussing in the workplace, whether it's the employer or, or employees. Well, I think what you're seeing, and I'll use Calgary and Halifax as an example, or Nova Scotia, really, um, because of COVID and everything, uh, you know, you're seeing this huge spike in calls. You're seeing ambulance shortages. You're hearing stories of forced overtime, no breaks, you know, and we have issues at our hospitals, which we've had for years, like way before, you know, early in my career, we had these issues is that we have an offload problem bringing a patient to a hospital and we can't offload them into a bed. So that's why you have ambulances sitting at, you know, at the QE2 for 14 hours. Mm. Like unable to go and Unable to transfer the patient to a bed because yeah. of bed availability. Mm. So we're sitting in hallways. So they're the bed. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah we are the bed yeah. until there is a bed, right? So that creates a lot of problems because then you run out of ambulances in Halifax where, mo- where most of our calls are, of course, so we draw on outside ambulances to come cover, right? Which leaves those communities bare. It just keeps going, keeps going, huh. right? So, so could this be one of the, like, we just covered this recently. There was mm-hmm. this guy in Dartmouth, I think, you know, older fella, fell, broke his hip, laying in his right. driveway. And they call in an ambulance from like three hours away. Right, because that is the next, even though, like, even though, let's be honest, I can tell you 100%, a truck is going to clear up from that hospital here in Halifax momentarily because mm. they, they will make it happen. But you can't have the call just sitting there. So they put it on the next available truck, right? which sounds like an absurd distance away, which it is. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But soon after that, it will be reassigned to a truck that would just, would be, would be able to clear, they would be able to clear and send to the call. But... That doesn't make it any less alarming. No, yeah. It also it also feeds into the other story that we covered, where the where the where the guy died in the emergency room before he was even able to be triaged. Triaged, yeah. Because it's just because the hospital system, and you know, we were you know making the joke about Brian waiting fourteen hours to you know get his foot X rayed, but it's like you know, no joke. At least you really will. You go to the hospital, and it's just and the hospital system has its own set of issues and overcapacity and all that stuff. And You can and borrow my Nintendo Switch if you want. <laughs> you know what? I might go to Kill the States. I might, it might be faster yeah, just to drive, drive down to the Maine. States. Yeah, it's so down swollen. <laughs> Sean, I, I would really love to hear sort of the process of how you, how you sought out help after, right. after losing your job um, and, and feeling like you had nowhere to turn. Like, what was the process there? <laughs> okay, so the process was this. I had no money to get a you know culturally competent therapist, right? Um, always been a fan of podcasts, right? G- grew up on like the Joe Rogan podcast, and lo- I love history podcasts. Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, yeah. amazing, yeah, amazing so yeah. right? So I love that. So I said, listen, why not? Let's just uh, let's see if we can do this some way. Just try to figure out how to do this because I don't have the money to pay for the therapist, but I can have you know, leading national therapists on my podcast for like two hours. Get the fuck out of here. You started the podcast 
as a way to treat your PTSD? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Holy <laughs> shit. I didn't know that, Sean. <laughs> I don't have to pay them a thing to yeah. come on my podcast. Yeah. I mean, look, right? I, like, that's honestly, that's it's, it's fucking brilliant because like, yeah. that's yeah. one of the byproducts of this show is like it, it, it for us, like there has been fucking, I, I can't even count the amount of times that we've had conversations on the show where afterwards I'm like, Oh, geez, I didn't realize how badly I needed that conversation yeah, and like right. and how truly effective it can be as a form of therapy. Yeah. But fuck, that's crazy. I had no idea. Dude, you look back to my first episodes in season one, there was a separate segment called Clinically Speaking with Dr. McGee, Dr. Robin McGee, who was my therapist, ended up being my therapist. She would come on and talk about a topic every episode. Thank you, because... I need to hear this, wow. right? So, <laughs> oh my anyway, gosh, yeah. Wow. So, right. D- yeah. just asterisks. Um, I know that therapy. There's a there's a problem. Like you, you're highlighting a really important point here that it's not accessible. Like it's really, yeah. it's really mm-hmm. expensive. You know, right. there, you can't get access to the right therapist. Um, it, when you seek um, mental health uh, treatment here in in Canada, you can the wait can be right. months and months and months. So, you know, but with with an asterisk that. There is not really a replacement for actual no. proper therapy. No, too. not at all. But Brian, but how much do you love that hack? I fucking love that. Yeah, hack. Brian loves yeah. that hack. I love a good hack, yeah. and and right. like, this is kind of like an uh, like Jared said, yeah. it's kind of like an unintentional byproduct of doing this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the sort of dichotomy that you mentioned earlier about corporations and supporting their people, right? Yeah. Of course they do. Go see a therapist. Please go get help. Talk yeah. to somebody. Yeah. Look at their benefit plan, mm. and they have three hundred dollars a year yeah. Yeah. for a psychologist. Yeah, like, like two sessions. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're lucky, if that, yeah, yeah. that's if that, two one sessions. And a half sessions, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's two. So there's where you see the. Yeah, you're saying this, but I'll tell you, paramedics, first responders wow. in general, the benefit plans are atrocious. And in Nova Scotia, <laughs> the company is owned by Medivy Blue Cross, the biggest <laughs> medical insurance company there is. You that's... would think that their paramedics would have. Crazy. The Cadillac of healthcare plans. That is crazy. And, and, and also thinking, <laughs> right? like, why, you know, if, I mean, f- you know, flip the business economic hat on. It's like you got paramedics that are probably, there's probably, I'm, I'm assuming the paramedic industry is a, a bit of a revolving door of people. For sure. Because you've got, because you've got yeah. so many things that so many people are dealing with so many heavy things. Mm. Yeah. You know, the, um, like the, um, you know, the average career span, I'm sure could be, Significantly lengthened with the investment in oh. a benefits plan well, that could support the mental health. The, the yeah. cost of turnover is the highest single expense for any right. organization. And the yeah. other crazy thing is that you know they, if you're a paramedic, they provide you with the tools to do your job, like an ambulance or like right. whatever you know you need. I, part of that should be the tools that you need to do, to do the job to is, last. Is to last is yeah. th- is yeah things like therapy. Yeah. So. It is ridiculous. It should be a room. It's getting better, but yeah. you know, it's time. Like it's time for to for corporations to really step up and mm-hmm. really provide good benefit plans for total wellness. I don't care if you want to go for a float, yeah. which I love. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's pretty Or good. I don't care what you need to do, whatever holistic <laughs> treatment you need to make yourself feel better, you go do that because that's better for us mm. as Fuck well. Yeah. When you yeah, were right? heading when you were heading the union, what kind of like conversations were there? Like oh. what was the union's sort of um, stance on this when dealing with the with the companies in terms of like benefits plans and stuff? Well, I mean, how it always goes is the union, we ask for the stars, right? Mm-hmm. And the company comes back with something more ground level. Mm-hmm. 
and we try to get somewhere in the middle, right? Of yeah. course, we want everything. We want everything covered, you know, no limits on stuff. But on the company's side of it, that is a money thing. That And money is real, and they are a for-profit company. Mm-hmm. So what you really need to understand, no matter what, no matter how much you like your manager or, you know, on the corporate side, even though your buddy's with them, you have to understand, and it's not a knock, it's not an insult, there are two different motivations going on here. Corporately, they need to get the most work out of you for the least amount of money. Why would they be in business if they weren't doing that? Like, mm. what, what, they're a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas unions want to get the least amount of work for the most amount of money, right? Yeah. Those are the two motivations that are always there, and we always have to remember that no matter what. And if I was a corporation... I'd have to make money-saving, profit-making decisions, yeah. or else I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have a job. There'd yeah. be no business. And those people are, tr- right. are, tur- are they? They're having to turn off their emotions in a bunch. Right, in a, in it's a tricky. Well. Like it's really. Of course, we want the world, right? Yeah, and we, we deserve it. You know, and how much? But I guess there is a price to it. Yeah. yeah. But I think saying that there's lots of room. There's still lots of room for improvement that could be, you know, well taken care of right now. I Absolutely. think. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. From a technical standpoint, like t- touching on PTSD specifically, can we talk about um, uh, post post traumatic growth? Right. Which, which is a which is a term that's relatively new for me, and the first time I ever heard that used was in a conversation that we had with an author named Julia Samuel, okay. who wrote a book called uh, "This Too Shall Pass." It was all about grief. But she was talking about post-traumatic growth um, from from the standpoint of of the the, the process of of managing and and healing um, in in regards to PTSD. Right? Can we can you give us a little rundown on like what is post-traumatic growth and how does it work? And from your own personal experience, like what does that look like for you? Okay, you're going to get, here's the, the monkey version, the cold. Yeah, yeah, okay. perfect. So what I've, and I've, I've learned this more recently, like uh, just to digress a little bit, like a lot of people, I find a lot of mental health advocates, especially public ones, you know, we, I know these answers. If you tell me what you're dealing with, I have lots of tools that I've learned I can give to you, I can show you how to use them. It does not mean that I use them well myself yeah, at yeah, all, yeah, yeah. right? It just doesn't. And uh, we struggle. Like, um, there's nobody that isn't struggling in some way. So that's, a, you know, that's really important I've been trying to hit home with uh, lately. It's just, you know, remembering that so we struggle. So for me, I mean, I had to, I had a family I have to repair. I have trying to find another job, another identity, you know, some sort of sense of self, right? Dealing with depression, dealing with, you know, suicidal ideations on, like, more than one occasion. Like, it's not fun at all, trying to get through all this stuff. But there comes a point 
there comes a point you, you get some help. You know, Dr. Robin McGee, I did EMDR therapy, eye yeah. movement desensitization. Mm-hmm. I do that. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Loved it. It worked for me. I was able to repackage all these memories from traumatic to narrative, okay? And it, and it worked for me, but there comes a point, once you get those memories, you know, taken care of and you're okay, now you have to start dealing with the moral injuries that you had now have and your depression and, you know, the base foundational symptoms that you're having, mm-hmm. right? And in order to do that, to take that step, it requires a lot of hard work on your part, okay? It's not your psychologist's job to, to f- save you or fix you. It's not your family's, you know, lack of support that's not helping you. It's not, we make excuses and blame things on other people all the time. Yeah. For me, post-traumatic growth happens when you realize that all the obstacles in your way were created by you. Yeah. All of them. Don't, like, no excuses. All of them. Mm. Okay? When you realize that and you go through what some may call an ego death, because we have this connection. It's a weird connection. Even though, you know, let's take PTSD, for some reason we want to hold on to it. Mm. It sucks. It's yes. fucking, but I'm not, I don't want to let it go because for some reason we feel, like, safe in the chaos. Mm. What do you think that is? Like, the, I, I've I've thought about this a number of times, and like it, it almost seems like it's a, it's and and I, I please don't take this the wrong way, mm. anyone who's listening, but like because this is the only way that I can kind of wrap my own head around it. But it, it it's like it almost seems like an addiction, dude. It's like I'm you're, so happy you said that. You're so. addicted to the to the 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 drama or yes. addicted to the the chaos a lot of times because there's some sort of like internal hormonal firing that's like giving you this like shot of adrenaline that although in on the outside doesn't feel good there's like a there it, it's it's still producing some sort of it you're alive you're like right. i'm a fucking oh, yeah. fuck I'm, I'm i'm alive right now like feeling, and like you don't like want to lose feeling that. a lot yeah feeling right. a like, lot and there's like an addiction to that yeah dude i think the exact same thing i think that well it's easy if you have someone who is really depressed super depressed and not doing their own homework, hard work to better themselves. They're staying in that depression. If they can make a post on Facebook saying, worst day ever, dot, 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 and all of a sudden they get floods of comments. Yeah, yeah. Right? They get instant attention for that. Mm. Right? Oh, I'm not alone. Someone cares. Yeah. If I'm posting on my Facebook, had a great day, uh, really feeling good today. Like maybe you get a thumbs up. You might get, yeah, yeah, yeah thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, like, you yeah. know what I mean, right? Yeah. I just think they're, it's just that last hurdle of realizing that you have to own your growth. Yeah. No one else can do that for you. And you have to do things that suck and that you don't want to do. Yeah. You have to do them every single day or it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it also sounds a bit like, um, uh, like there's this familiarity with, with the feeling of like of suffering within that depression or yeah. PTSD that it's another family to be a part of. Although yeah. you although you want nothing more than to feel better. Right. It's this thing where you're like, I, I know this though. I understand this. And yeah. as soon as I go outside of that, I don't know what's that yeah. what that's gonna be like. And yeah. And exactly and it. you know you want to feel better, but like it sometimes just feels safer to 
stay the same. We're, yeah. we're experiencing that collectively right now with COVID in the, in, the, right. in the way that we're sort of in this period, at least in Canada and a lot of the U.S., where where we're being kind of told every so often, like, we're kind of on the tail end of it. And, like, and we're going to make these changes so that there's less restriction and you can go and, you know, you don't have to, you know, you, you might not have to give the eight-foot berth to somebody when you're on the sidewalk. And it's like some people are like, I don't, this is what I've know. All I've known is going out less, seeing fewer people right. over the past little while, and it's and it's like there's a weird, even though that wasn't you before the pandemic, you fe- yeah. you feel like there's like there's like an anxiety, yeah, it's a safety yeah. blanket. You feel yeah. weird about about going, you know, like wow, is it really time to do that? Can we do that? Can I, you know, what's it gonna feel like <laughs> when I when I when I start being normal again? You know, it's yeah. like it's like it's like it's like when you hear about people who are who leave prison and they don't want to, they don't know how to, they don't know how to be in the world because they've been in this other world for so long. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's too foreign. <laughs> it's funny. I was watching the election coverage last night and, and, uh, there was this, um, political analyst on, on the panel and, and, uh, the host asked him a question and, and he was a bit like cagey about his answer. And she was like, oh, I feel like you're not being totally forthcoming yet. And he was like, no, this is just the first time I've been out of my house and like, a year and a half. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> so like, I just feel weird being <laughs> yeah. here in person yeah. with you yeah. guys. Oh, cool. But, yeah. But um, the the other thing I just wanted to add to that is like, I, I, I just want to emphasize the point that like I have a, a really close friend who has complex PTSD from severe childhood trauma, and mm. I know that he wants nothing, um, nothing less than just to feel better. Like he mm. yeah. every day is a struggle for him. Um. There is, I, I think that he he feels a sense of like identity with his struggle right now, right. and it feels maybe safer to stay in the p- place where he feels like he's balancing other, or juggling all of these balls at the same time, and he's sort of like got them all in the air, and he's he's just like able to like sort of manage and finesse his situation to the place where he can get through every day and go to sleep and wake up the next day. Yeah. And it's not a, an existence that he wants right now, but it's something he feels like he's at least right. holding on to. And as soon as you like try to step out of that life and into a life that quote unquote might be better, then all of a sudden it's like, well, oh, I'm going to drop all these balls and like, I fucking hope everything's okay when I do that. Right. And, and so I, yeah, it's hard because there, like when you, you describe it as an addiction, Jerry, like it might be hard for people to hear it that way, but mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying and I Makes think total sense. Yeah. You said it perfectly. That. Like that was spot on. Mm. Still go get your foot looked at. That <laughs> <laughs> was spot yeah, on. Should, actually. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I love the book, uh, The Power of Now, mm-hmm. yeah. Tolley. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, and he says, you know, in order to live, you have to die before you die. Mm. And what that links to is, again, the ego. Mm. Yeah. It's the ego death, right? And I think these, like the, like the situation that you talked about, and I've been there, please, anybody listening, I've sucked at this for years. So yeah. I'm not, you know, again, I struggle. Like, I think that that last little click of not wanting to feel like this anymore and willing to do the work to get there that's the decision, that's, that's when your ego goes away because your brain, dude, you think you're doing fine because your brain tells you all day, oh, you're, you've been doing so good today. You don't have to meditate today. Mm. You've been good. Mm. Oh, you don't have to go to the gym, man. You're looking sweet. No, you're good. Have a cheat day. 
and your brain tells you this, right? Because your brain knows your ego is still turned on a little bit, right? And think of it like this, boys. Like, if I had a cast on my arm, you would not expect me to throw a ball or to hang from the rafters with the arm, right? Mm -hmm. So why are we believing everything an injured brain tells us? Just Mm -hmm. believing it. It must be true. That's a good fucking analogy. Right? (laughs) You have to really... I tell my own brain to shut the fuck up many times a day. Mm. As soon as I start to say, you don't have, shut the fuck up. Because mm. like, <laughs> if, I, if I listen to you, I will get off track. And I often mention my PTSD as being in sort of a remission. I don't ever think that we're, you know, cured of it. It's in remission. And the only reason it's in remission is because I do the wellness things. I journal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I meditate. I go for float. I try to get outside. I try to eat relatively okay. Yeah. yeah. You, right? you know what's fucking crazy though about that is that like you're talking about telling your brain to shut up because yes. that's what it is. It's it's the ego voice in your brain. Mm. But then when you're doing the things like floating, yeah. meditating, journaling, you're actually tuning in to your brain, but in a on a different wavelength yeah. the because yeah. uninjured part. Right. Exactly. As a, as a more objective yeah. observer. I mean, like yeah. the, the ego is such a the ego is a, such a challenging thing. I mean, it's something that we all yeah. need mm. to be working on in in for the rest of our, of our of our lives i've i've always um said that the that your ego is like the is like the kid that your parents told you not to hang out with i mean <laughs> totally. it's a, it's a, it's it's you know whispering those things in your ear like do this and do this or you don't need to do that and all that stuff i mean like it's i i i don't really use social media like for like personally <laughs> I look back at my yeah my, you've taken over our social media yeah. for the podcast yes, because it's because I can detach ego from our business, from oh, our business stuff. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, right back now, around. Now, listen, right now, back into yeah. it. Here now, we go, folks. Now, last Here's couple, a lecture. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I hadn't posted on anything on Instagram for uh, like a year and a half or almost two years. Wow. And then, and then I, um, Brian's brother, I was doing a bike race. Brian's brother came out and took some photos. Took some really amazing photos. I was super grateful. He he he, gave, he said something really really sweet and kind to me after after the race. And, and I was like, oh, I'll, sh- I'll share that because that was like really, I want people to know how great Dennis is. And it was a very like unegotistical decision to go, hey, I'm going to put this up on Instagram and let people know that Dennis is fucking awesome. Taylor's like, I've been off for a while. Like if I write something really thoughtful, <laughs> think about all the fucking yeah. likes I'm going to get. Yeah. It's you're, gonna... you're, jo- I, you're, you're saying that as a joke, but that is actually, but that, that's not the thought beforehand. That's right. the, that is the thought <laughs> after. Afterwards, because yeah. once yeah. you do it yeah. and hundreds of people start going, oh, I like what you did there. Yeah, you go, you go, you start like that little pe- that little fucking w- yeah. piece of your brain goes. I'm back. Oh, oh cool. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at all that. Look at all that attention. Mm-hmm. Like you start to. It like, feels good. It feels good. It's yeah. like, right. Endorphins it, get released. Yeah. Right. I got, sucked, then, I got sucked into that. That's why he, I posted so many van pictures for so long because I was like, oh fuck yeah, people like these. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, you, and but then honestly, I'm but not then, but then the but then the 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 wait the initial intention is. Oh, Dennis did this amazing thing. Like Dennis is so great. He came out, took these photos. He supported me in what I love. But then the afterthought is, oh, like, can I get some more support from a friend to do like <laughs> to do something else so I can yeah. put it on Instagram so people will like me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. the like it's the yeah. same thing, but from a totally like weird place that doesn't serve you at all no. in any healthy way yeah. it doesn't yeah sean where, where i mean you said it earlier that you 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 don't think that there's you don't think that there's like a way to be cured of ptsd but you're you're you use the word remission which i've heard that 
used before in, in context with PTSD. And um, so where are you at now? Like, where, like, what is Sean today compared to where you were, um, you know, a number of years ago? Oh, way better. Um, it just feels like I woke up. Mm. Fe- that, that's the other fucked up thing. It just feels like he woke up from a coma and didn't realize what, like, and then you start learning about what your injured self did. Mm. That's totally against your morality and personality. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's horrific, mm-hmm. right? Um, but today, I mean, I'm much better today. I mean, I'm aware of my emotions. I have all the tools. I use them semi-regularly. I'm not great at it. I struggle on days. But now when I struggle, so if I find that I'm stressed, the difference is I would blow it off 10 years ago mm. or just say, you know, get off my back. Why are you bugging me? Like if, if someone's telling me, you know, you're being kind of, you know, fuck off, right? Instead of doing that, when I feel that, I immediately go outside and I do five by five breathing. So I breathe in for five seconds, breathe out for five seconds, only concentrating on the breath five times. And if my mind, if another thought enters my mind, I have to start again. Hmm. I do that. And it's really hard, by the way, when you first, when you first do it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but I'm, I'm pretty good at it now, and I do that, and it totally resets the pH in your brain. It brings your prefrontal cortex back online, tells your amygdala to settle the fuck down. There's no threat, hmm. right? It allows you to make good decisions, right? Your, which is your whole, you know, prefrontal cortex is your reasoning center of the brain, reason, logic, communication, right? You wonder why people don't make good decisions and can't communicate when they have... A mental injury, it's, it's science, bro. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. your prefrontal cortex is not online. It's not there. Mm. Like, and that, that's what happens. So you end up saying you're making decisions that are bad, and it's just really hard to break that cycle, especially with family who all they've seen now for the past number of years are bad decisions yeah. and mm-hmm. poor communication and no emotion. And just right? expecting the worst, you know, to, to, yeah. to seeing, being in the cycle, expecting the cycle to continue. Yeah. But, yeah. Today, but today I'm good, man. Like, I think I'm the best version of me that I've seen yeah. since I can remember. What would you say is the biggest thing that PTSD has taken away from you? Oh, 100%. Without a doubt, it's taken away uh, years of a relationship with my daughter. There are a whole bunch of years that are just, uh, I don't remember. Mm. And lots of big milestones for her that I wasn't there, or even if I was there, I wasn't present, mm-hmm. right? That's, um, that hurts the most. What would you say is the biggest thing it's given you? It's given me... Probably for the first time ever, it's given me the skills to call myself on my own bullshit mm-hmm. like, that's not easy to do but if you do that and because of that I would never have, have talked to all these cool people be here with you guys heard all those doctors talk to me and help me while I couldn't pay for therapy <laughs> right <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't you know I wouldn't be here doing that right mm-hmm. um, yeah it's just uh Totally have a total mind blank. Yeah. Hey, my PTSD brain is like you nailed it. It happens. And and again, like for folks that don't realize this, like this, 
this recording has been such a long time coming. Yeah. You started UpTalk, your podcast, uh, like pretty much the exact same time that we started out. Yeah, January and, 2016. And we were in contact like in those early days and we were like, we got it. Let's get you on the show. And it was like, it, I mean, it's been years and we, yeah. we finally got you here. And we're, I'm just, I'm this so is the right sure. time though. I it, think this was the right time. To I, do it. I think, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 I'm so glad that you, that a, you're here in person in the studio. That's, that's fucking, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm that's, grateful that's, for that. Yeah, totally. But, uh, on top of that, I'm just glad that you, you are where you are, that you've decided to do the things that you do. Um, uh, you know, your podcast is important. It's obviously helped a lot of people, um, take a moment, let our listeners know how they can find you, how they can find the podcast. Um, give yourself a little, a little plug here. Oh, thanks, man. Um, really, anywhere you get your podcasts, you're going to find UpTalk. So, you know, Apple and Google, all the big ones. Um, if, you f- if your favorite podcast medium doesn't have it, just let me know. I'll figure out how to do that. That's fine. Uh, social media is all UpTalk podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Pleased to be supported by the Mental Health News Radio Network, which is uh, the largest online network of mental health shows. That's huge. Uh, you can check me out there as well. Proud to be part of BNV Media, um, the new studio, which has changed everything for me, really giving me a lot of energy to keep going with this. So um, you can email me if you have any questions or any guests or if you want to come on and tell a story of hope. Uh, uptalkpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me. I'm there. I, I wanted to just say just don't too. don't click on the Chatelaine Up Talk podcast by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. You have to make sure you have yes. the right one. Yes, right you're into that type yeah. of stuff, I guess. Yeah. But uh, um, Sean, I wanted to say too, like like it, the fact that you started your podcast, sort of to find out more about yourself and and help yourself. I like I I I don't think you sh- you should overlook the fact too that it's helped. Um, probably hundreds if not thousands of people too who are going through the same thing because sometimes listening to a podcast can be that like first step that somebody needs yeah. to take to start to go and seek other types of therapeutic um, interventions too. So thanks for the work that you do oh, there. Oh, no, you're welcome. I mean, when I first started though, when I was doing it for that motivation, the other part of that was I didn't think anybody would want to listen to this anyway. Yeah. So we're going to go in it like this, but then <laughs> we know what when, that's like. when I started getting a message like, you know, hey, I saw that it was cool. Then, you know, of course, I want to educate myself, and I'm trying to get myself better. But if it helps anybody along the ride, yeah. that's, that's awesome, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but listen, I appreciate what you guys are doing. The fact that you beat me out for Best of Halifax a few years back. That, anyway, what, we're not holding on to that. There's no bitterness. No, you guys. Right along. I have been fans of you guys since you started. Um, super proud of all of you. Um, you're doing important work. And um, I'm always a fan and willing to do anything. If you need anything from me, like, just reach out. Hey, right? man, I'm just glad you came in here to tell Brian his foot's fucked. Foot's fucked, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, God, true. So you need swollen. to get that looked at right <laughs> and away. And turning different shades. <laughs> oh, fuck. It's really uh, bad. It's really bad. <laughs> thank you so much, Sean. This has been a real treat, man. My pleasure, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.